Welcome to your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Good show coming up today. Chip Scoggins will be on in just a little bit, columnist at the Star Tribune, talking about his football across Minnesota column that went live not too long ago, and talking some gophers, some wild, some timber wolves. Lots to catch up on there with Chip. It's been a little while since he was on the show, so looking forward to that conversation. Um, wild played on uh on Tuesday night got a nice win at Vancouver a good bounce back so they are 5 and 1 now on the season. Uh, Chip and I talked a little bit about the Wild and about the Wolves who have a big game Wednesday night in Milwaukee. So plenty to get to there including a little bit of World Series talk as well and end with a recruiting item that I thought was interesting about Gophers women's basketball. But first, what did I miss? Well, I did a list on uh, on Tuesday of the top 25 players in Timberwolves history, and I thought, you know, I blogged about it, but maybe I could share some, some thoughts on the podcast as well. You know, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, the NBA put out its list of 75 best players in league history, um, you know, as part of their 75 years in the league, and... Um, some people have been putting together Wolves lists of top 75. Once you get to 75 with a franchise that hasn't had a ton of success, it gets a little bit bleak. Uh, so I decided to do 25. I thought 25, most of the players, at least you're going to be on the list, you're like, okay, you know, that guy contributed to the Wolves. He, he made a positive, meaningful uh, contribution to to this team. So here are my top 25 players in Timberwolves history in reverse chronological order. 25, Zach Levine. You know, he probably didn't get his full due here because he got traded before he got really good, but uh, he was starting to show what he could do uh, in that year, 2016-17, before he got injured. 24, Fred Hoiberg. I was surprised. He he didn't play a ton, um, only a couple of years, and he was primarily a role player off the bench, but, man, he, he shows up on a couple of real interesting lists. He has the best career offensive rating in Wolves history, 128.2, and the sixth best defensive rating, 102.3. Um, Fred Hoiberg in limited action was very good for the Wolves. 23, Doug West, kind of one of longevity here than anything, but he was a, a key player for them for a long time. 22, Anthony Peeler, traded by the Wolves, uh, traded for Doug West. Um, traded Doug West for Anthony Peeler. I'm going to get that right. And uh, brought some toughness some shooting to the playoffs 21 Corey Brewer only guy I've played golf with on the list so 21 for Corey Brewer high motor um good good player solid player he could help a good team 20 Gorgie Jang um sixth best all-time in win shares for the Wolves underrated player in team history 19 Troy Hudson did I put him on this list only because of his great 2002-2003 playoff series against the Lakers when he had 23.5 points on forty-six on 43.6% shooting for three. That maybe, uh, but that was a great series for uh, for Troy Hudson and uh, came up big when they when they were injured at the point guard spot. 18, Isaiah Ryder. 17, Christian Leitner. Both those guys were headaches. Both of them had a lot of excuses for why the team didn't win or maybe why they didn't show up for practice, but they could play. Uh, they could play, guys. 16, Anthony Edwards. This one's interesting. Um, come back in three years, he'll be in the top five, I have a feeling. Uh, come back in ten years, he might be in the top two 
Um, and that's saying a lot. I don't know if he'll crack uh, the number one spot because I know you know who that is, and that's a high that's a high bar to uh, to cross. But for now, a lot of his value is still kind of locked up in potential, even if we see a lot of it every game now. Um, so Anthony Edwards, just 16 on the list, but that will that will go up as the years go on. I would imagine 15. Al Jefferson. You know, he was a nice consolation prize. They got like 18 guys in the KG trade. Big Al could play, low post moves. Injuries hurt him, um, and they kind of went in a new direction. But he, he was a good player for them. He was kind of the cornerstone of that KG trade. 14, Tony Campbell. Man, the, those Wolves teams back in the day were bad. Uh, and he was a little bit of a volume scorer, but you know what? He scored. He had, you know, averaged a lot of points, 232 in the 89-90 season. He had some good years. He deserves to be on this list. 13, Tom Gugliotta. You know, seven Wolves players have made an all-star team. Googs was one of them. Um, that, that tells you how good he was at his peak. Unfortunately, his peak wasn't quite long enough. 12, Nikola Pekovic. Unstoppable down low when he was healthy. Uh, it would have been nice to see what he could have done with Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio if he could have stayed healthier for more years. 11, Andrew Wiggins. Now, maybe he belongs further down on this list. He's kind of hard to figure out, but he was the rookie of the year. He was solid, even if he never quite lived up to you know the hype of being the number one overall pick, never became that franchise savior. 10, Terrell Brandon. He was so boring, so efficient, which is good. Um... A lot of 17-footers off of high ball screens, but you know what? He was a good player, too, uh, and he was trying to replace the love we lost. Which, Speaking of which, number nine, Stephon Marbury. He was the love we lost, traded for Terrell Brandon. Totally gutted this franchise, but for the time he was here, at least we got to experience that. Eight, Sam Mitchell. Toughness. A lot of, uh, of all-time leader lists that Sam's on. He deserves to be up here. Seven, Ricky Rubio. Again, I'm not sure if he's that high on the list, but I think he did deserve a better fate both times around with the Wolves. He never got to play with the best core of players. Would have liked to see Ricky Rubio with better players on the Wolves. I think he would have fit with that Jimmy Butler team, but he was traded that offseason. I think he would have fit in other ways. That said, he did have plenty of time to prove himself here. So, number seven, Ricky Rubio. Number six, Jimmy Butler. He played exactly 69 games in a Wolves uniform, but he transformed them into a playoff team. He scorched the earth on his way out, but you know what? He also wasn't wrong. Five, Sam Cassell. Very similar to Jimmy Butler. Um, got them over the hump. Got K- got KG to a Western Conference Finals. Number five in win shares per 48 minutes, so he is number five on this list. Four, Wally Zerbiak was not a perfect player, was not a perfect fit next to Garnett, but he was a great shooter, a high-effort player, and uh, a really good Wolf for a long time. Three, Kevin Love. Two separate seasons for the Wolves in which he averaged at least 26 points and 12 rebounds. Maybe a little bit of that was stat stuffing, but Peak Love was an unstoppable offensive force, similar to number two, Carl Anthony Towns, who I write is still seeking a level of on-court maturity and defense in year seven of his career. Yeah, Cat's not a young guy anymore. He's an NBA mid-career guy, but he is one of the most uniquely gifted offensive players in NBA history and deserves to be number two on this list. Number one, Kevin Garnett, as if it would be anybody else. The franchise's all-time best player. 
by a long shot. MVP one year, got him to the playoffs eight years in a row. He is by far the best player in franchise history and will be for a while. Like I said, maybe Anthony Edwards challenges that, especially if somewhere down the line this team experiences some playoff glory. But for now, that is how I have them all stacking up. Agree, disagree. Some people thought I left Latrell Sprewell off. I thought Sprewell was overrated. I didn't think he added that much except for some toughness and a name to that uh to that 0304 team. Uh, maybe I'm remembering things differently. Maybe I'm looking at his stats and thinking, ah, he wasn't very efficient. He didn't shoot very well. Maybe there was more to it, just his presence. But I did not put him on this list. That was not a an oversight. That was uh, that was intentional. Some people thought Pooh Richardson. I could see that. I toyed with the idea of putting Pooh on there, but uh, ultimately went with a different 25. Um, hit me with your thoughts if you want. Always on Twitter at Ranball. I would love to hear from you guys about that. I'm Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer at the Star Tribune and the first five-time guest in daily delivery history. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, and even all of Rand's future blog posts about how the Timberwolves should trade for players they will never get, Go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Excited to have Chip Scoggins on Daily Delivery today, columnist for the Star Tribune. Does a weekly feature called Football Across Minnesota. I want to get his thoughts on his latest installment that went online Monday night and uh, maybe pick his brain on some wolves, some wild, and uh, maybe some gopher football too because I believe as we record this right now, Chip is getting ready to talk to some gopher football players as well. Now, Chip, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Mikey. Yeah, man. Um, what's uh, so? Fam has been going for what six, seven, eight weeks now. It feels like it's a, it's it's robust. It's it's big every week. It's got to be a challenge to put together. How? Tell me about the latest one and how it came together. Yeah, I think this was week number eight, and the thing that has been rewarding and I don't know if, uh, insightful. I I think we knew there was good stories out there, but there's just so many great stories. In Minnesota, from the football community, whether it's high school, colleges, you know, Gophers, small colleges, smaller colleges, uh, or, or you know, at all levels. But uh, the one this week was Eli Thomas is a grad transfer at Minnesota State Mankato, and he won a, or he was nominated last week for the Football Writers Association of America. Every week they nominate a a player at all levels of, of college football for the court the Courage Award. And he received it for last week. He, uh, he's a linebacker, a grad transfer. In his career, you talk about overcoming adversity. He tore the ACL in his left knee three times. He said, Oh, are you, oh. Yeah. And, and also, I don't know if that's the easy part, but then he also had a stroke when he was at UConn, uh, that, uh, and there's cars blowing their horns in the background here. That's okay. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the, uh, he was, he was, he suffered a neck injury, uh, in the one year he could play there. And then a few weeks later he was back and was just going through, uh, they were warming up to have a, uh, a workout. They were stretching and he started to have a stroke. Uh, he was off balance. He felt weird. The teammate that was standing next to him asked him if he was okay. And a, and a athletic trainer happened to be right there and basically caught him. And within five minutes he was on the ambulance going to a, in an ambulance going to the hospital, he was suffering a stroke, and 
I uh, got transferred and had uh, surgery on his brain to remove the clot. Um, doctors told the family that had it not been for the fast response of the Yukon uh, medical staff, uh, probably would have killed him. Uh, just wow. Because it was from, from the moment, from the outset of his stroke until the finish of the surgery where he had the clot removed, it was only four hours. Um, mm. So it was incredibly fast and, and just a remarkable story. Uh, UConn and no Division One. He entered the portal because he wanted to, after he recovered, he wanted to keep playing. Uh, UConn would not clear him because they just had the team doctor tell the family just there was so much uncertainty with concussions after a stroke and they weren't comfortable clearing him. Uh, he, he was in the transfer portal and a handful of Division One teams reached out and then once they learned his medical history with the three ACL tears, they, they backed away and, and didn't offer him. But Minnesota State man came with Todd Hoffner. Uh, they told him they would accept him, you know, contingent on him getting cleared. And his cardiologist, his hematologist, his neurologist, they all cleared him. And so he's playing one final year. He's 25 years old. He has a longtime girlfriend. They have two young kids, ages uh, two and six. And so he just wanted to have one more chance to play football. And uh, he's the Mavericks second leading tackle. So just, just a uh, remarkable uh, testament to his perseverance to stick with it. Um, and, it's, it's, you know, he's, he said he's just having the time of his life being able to play football again. And that's what I love about uh, this feature you're doing. It just gives you a chance to kind of spread your wings, write some of these stories that, you know, maybe would be good individual columns, but they fit into this kind of overarching theme of football across Minnesota so well. So another good installment. If you haven't read it yet, go uh, – Go check it out. Chip, I'm sure you're full of go for football thoughts, too. And I saw you wrote after the, the Maryland game about the uh, about the offensive line, the defensive line. I mean, we, we kind of thought those would be strengths going into the year, and then maybe that didn't play out right away. But that sure is playing out now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the identity of this team, no doubt. Uh, the offensive line, I thought they were up and down early on. Um, there'd be good moments and then some inconsistency. The last couple of weeks, they've really – uh, just dominated. And that was about as one-sided a physical matchup as I've seen in, in covering the Gophers, the, the way they just kind of pushed around, uh, Maryland, uh, along the line and created really huge wide running lanes for those freshman running backs. But to me, Mike, the story of this team without a doubt, 100% is the defense and the defensive line. Um, this is the deepest defensive line I've seen in my 20 years, uh, being around the Gophers. They've had individual stars. They've had NFL players that have come from the defensive line, but one through eight. Uh, this is the first time I can remember them being able to roll in a true second-team line and not really have a, a significant drop-off. Um, they're getting, they're playing eight guys regularly in the rotation, which I just haven't seen, and, and eight guys are really contributing. And their defense, their top 25 defense right now is scoring uh, in points allowed. They're only giving up 19.6 points per game. Um they have not finished under 20 points per game allowed since 1999. So this is something we, we're not used to seeing. Uh, Joe Rossi has really got that, that unit playing uh, discipline. They're confident. And they don't really face any good offenses the rest of the way. The final five games, no real standout offenses. So um, this team's identity, I think, we're seeing. They're really good defensively. And then the offensive line is being physical and allowing them to run the ball. Yeah, I looked it up the other day. The last five games, it's 66 points total, so like 13.2 a game. You know, obviously, 
coming out of the shoot, they gave up 45 to Ohio State. They just couldn't really match that speed in that game. But, you know, ever ever since then, you know, even the Bowling Green game, that wasn't on the defense. They only gave up 14 in that game. Um, they pitched the shutout against Colorado. Um, you know, and then last week it was, it was you know, ball control told a lot of that story against Maryland because I don't think they only were on the field defensively for 22, 23 minutes. But when they were, they were getting right off the field. And that'll be, you know, it's it's just – it's it's not like the flashiest football, but when you can control both lines of scrimmage, that's that's like that's recipe number one for winning in the Big Ten. Well, and this is exactly what BJ doesn't. It's clear now how he wants this team to function. He doesn't care about style points or the way they do it. He wants to have high time of possession, which I think they're fifth in the country in time of possession. Uh, they're averaging forty-seven carries a, a, a game. Um, so this is exactly the team the way that you see him play the last few weeks or since he got back in the Big Ten. This is exactly how he wants it to function. Run the ball, play good defense, ball control. Um, but in saying that, at some point this year, and I think it's either going to be against Iowa or Wisconsin, you're not going to be able to finish a game by carrying it 23 straight times, which they did Saturday. They're going to have to be able to throw the ball in that, and they're going to have to be aggressive. And so that's where you want to see if they can do that, if they can – at a time, if a defense rises up and stops their running game, will they trust Tanner Morgan and the receivers to go try to win a game for them or, or have a key drive where they have to throw the ball uh, against better competition? Then that remains to be seen. Yeah, absolutely. A um, couple more thoughts for you. I don't know how much Wolves and Wild you've watched so far this year. I watched a lot of the Wolves game Monday night where they did not look great, lost to the previously winless Pelicans. Afterwards, Anthony Edwards was kind of critical of himself and his teammates. I don't know who he was pointing the criticism at more, himself or D'Angelo Russell or Carl Anthony Towns, but interesting to see him take on that leadership role and what his comments were basically, you know, we got to share the ball. We're, we we were sharing the ball in the preseason, and now we're just everybody looking for their shot. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen all three games. I watched that one last night, and I think you're starting to see Edwards becomes the leader of this team because I just think he's more probably uh, he feels more comfortable in that role than maybe Towns does uh, in terms of that vocal you know being that guy. Uh, a couple things last in that game Monday night bugged me. Towns has ha- he just has to stop complaining all nonstop about it, this. It drives me it drives me nuts. It drove me nuts the night be- the game before too. He fouled out because he got into that spat with Valanciunas like you get the double foul and he. It's so predictable when he gets into a bad mood, he goes and charges to the basket and picks up an offensive foul. It disrupts the off. It disrupts. It disrupts his game. I think it disrupted the offense last night. Um, and you know darn well, Mike, that that is on the opponent's scouting report. Hey, you can get him off his game. If, you know, be physical. If he's going to complain to the official. I mean, you, you know they're talking about it because we're talking about. It. Everybody's talking about it. Just you know the flapping the arms at the officials. Um, I, yes, was he getting hacked? Yeah, but did the fouls, the, the Wolves probably fouled the other way, too. It's not this great conspiracy against the Timberwolves. Um, the other thing that bugged me, D'Angelo Russell. He's got to be more. He was terrible. He's got to be more. I don't know if he's realizing that this is Towns and Edwards' team and he's kind of the third guy or what, but he's just, just like disengaged and just was taking, you know, I don't know. He's got to definitely elevate his play because that's what we saw last night. is just not going to work. 
and he looked good in the preseason. I was like, okay, preseason D'Lo, they looked, you know, the games we saw, they, they looked active and engaged. And, you know, against Houston, I think we saw the same stuff. Everything was everything was working against Houston. The offense was fine. The defense was really good. You know, everybody's going to throw a clunker out there, but I don't think they played all that well in that win over the Pelicans. They kind of got away with it. And it is nice that they're playing defense right now. I think they're fourth in defensive rating right now that they can actually win a game or be in a game when the offense is, is kind of, you know, ugly like this, but they need Russell. If Russell can't, if, if, if Russell's not making shots, he's just such a ball stopper because he just dribbles around, looks for his spot. And a lot of times like the shot he winds up taking is like a, a contested falling away, 17 foot mid range. And it's like, you can get that any time. Why, why is that the first thing we're looking for? Well, that's the thing. It's like, if your shot's not falling, I know he's probably a volume guy where he's like, okay, the next one's going in. Do something else. Facilitate. Get someone else involved and, and take a back seat that night. And, you know, it, it, you didn't see that. And so, I, you know, their offense, it hasn't been great. Early on, um, you know, the season opener was there against Houston, it was disjointed then, too, uh, for, for stretches. And I think Finch had said they put so much emphasis on defense and that. Thankfully, you know they bought in there. At least we were seeing somebody, and that I think the offense will come and they'll they'll smooth it out. But uh, the defense has been encouraging, and but um, yeah, that game last night just sort of annoyed me watching it. You know, I didn't like the body language, I didn't like the shots, I didn't like the constant complaining to the officials. Uh, it just felt like they took themselves out of that game completely. It was more what they were doing than just you know uh, more what the Pelicans were doing. I just felt like. Uh, it just felt just off. I, I just didn't like much of anything about that game last night. Other than no, that, I, I that start by uh, Edwards was pretty good. <laughs> you can see yeah, he I mean, gets he it going. Man. He is an energy flyer. Gosh. Yeah, he took over that third quarter to a certain degree. Almost brought them all the way back. But you know, it's again. And I think Edwards even talked about this post game. You know, they they were starting to feel good about themselves. Like, yeah, we're playing the Pelicans again. We just beat them. And this is a team that just had such a hard time handling any small amount of success last year. They would win a game, then immediately lose a game. And, you know, at least after that first Houston game, they were able to come back and beat the Pelicans. But, you know, it's a chance to go 3-0 and at the start of the year. you got to play Milwaukee now Wednesday night in Milwaukee. Like, that's, you know, that's not a game you're going to be expected to win. All of a sudden, like, the the good feelings from a 2-0 and start are going to be wiped away pretty fast if you're 2-2. Two and two. Yeah, yeah, it will. And I'm go back to the original point with with Edwards being more assertive in that post game press conference and saying he's going to be more vocal, more kind of getting on guys. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out, right? Because yeah. um, you know he's a second year guy, but he's a big personality, uh, very emotional, uh, you know, demonstrative, and so. It'll be interesting to see if he if he does that if he falls through on that and this becomes more and more I don't say his team but if he's uh, kind of the guy who sets the tone for everybody else in terms of that communication um, because that would require you know Towns and Russell you know to hey listen to the second year guy and, and he's jumping on them so I, I, I'm fascinated to see how all this plays out here over the next stretch of games. Yeah, I am too. I mean, it's kind of, in a weird way, it reminds me a little bit of the first, it was the beginning of the, the Jimmy Butler, the good Jimmy Butler season when he was kind of taking a back seat for a while and they were playing okay and he was deferring to his teammates. I think they were like, you know, above 500 but not playing great. And then one game he was just like, all right, enough of that. Like, I'm I'm going to start taking charge now and, and said as much. 
and they kind of took off from there. And obviously Edwards doesn't have that kind of credibility yet. He just turned 20, but, you know, he's he's not afraid of that moment, not afraid of that leadership, so we'll see how far that takes him. Chip, really quick, wild, 4-1, and 4-1 one, um, and one start to the year. Some cracks in the foundation a little bit with uh, with some of the goaltending, though. I'm, I'm just kind of wondering where where this team you know what's this team's ceiling what's their floor is this was the 4 and 0 start you know which which had some you know kind of not flukiness but some resilience to it for sure because they had to come back in some of those games and that jets game was a was a big piece of it like what, what do you think of this team so far yeah it, it's i mean the last game the, the loss was just uh poor goaltending on a back to back by your your backup goalie i mean you know I think you can you can say that. Um, yeah, the first four games, I mean, they they I believe right all four of them they didn't score first, so they had to come back. Um, which good news, bad news, right? Um, you feel resilience and you, you you found a way to to get back in it. I think they're going to be fine. I I think this is a playoff team. I think they have enough scoring. Um, I like the the makeup of the team in terms of the speed that they have now. This team plays fast. I mean, they, Billy Garen has brought in speed and kind of got rid of some of the old, slower guys that that didn't fit the style that him and Dean Edison wants to play. So, uh, you know, I, I nothing that's really jumped out about this start sways me one way or the other. I, I said going in, I feel like they're a playoff team, and um, you know, you start four and one, and uh, you know, there's been that one hiccup there, um, but I, I feel like. This team has the scoring firepower. Um, once you get uh, Kaprizov going and Fiala going, uh, I, I just feel like they should be a team that's going to be in the playoffs. You don't think Bill Guerin would assign Thomas Vanek? <laughs> Speedy Thomas Vanek. It is it is remarkable where um, you know he's he's had a vision of what he wants and what he doesn't want and. Uh, he has conviction in it, and he's, if it's a popular, unpopular decision, so be it. He doesn't care. He views it as, hey, I'm the general manager. I'm going to make this how I want. And I think, you know, you're never, you're never perfect. You never roster never way you want it. But um, I do think there's, they got some youth and some talent in the pipeline now that's coming, and they're going to need it because of the, the salary cap, uh, you know, situation they're going to be in because of the Parisi Suter uh Contracts that they're going to have to rely on these young guys, but I like what they're doing. I like the speed. I think they're they have an exciting style of hockey now, um, and so I think it's just a matter of you know it's a long season, but avoiding the you know the bad injuries and just kind of guys getting used to each other. And, and but I think I think they're on the right path both this season and then just as, as Billy Garen's you know kind of blueprint for the vision for the for the future. I tend to agree. Good stuff, Chip. We'll do this again soon, all right? All right, brother. We'll see you, man. Now, like I said at the outset, <clears throat> after Chip and I recorded that segment, the Wild played again, of course, on a Tuesday night against Vancouver. Solid 3-2 win. Good bounce-back game for the whole team. Good bounce-back game for Cam Talbot. They kind of locked down a little bit more on the goaltending, locked, locked down a little bit more on defense. 3-2 is a nice road win nice road score i believe all five of their wins by the way are one goal affairs so winning the close ones a lot of them in the nhl are close ones anyway but 
a good a good game for the Wild. Good to get back on track. Um, and I think Chip was right. This is a, a solid team, and they showed that again in that game on uh, on Tuesday night at Vancouver. World Series quickly. Atlanta six, Houston two in the opener. A couple of old friends figuring uh, reasonably prominently in this one. Eddie Rosario two more hits for Atlanta, including a double and a run score. Jake Odorizzi pitched two and a third scoreless relief for Houston, but it didn't get them back in the game. Atlanta takes that one. That thing took four hours and six minutes, by the way. A six to two nine inning baseball game. I'm just it's it's we keep talking about it. I'm just beside myself with how ridiculously long these games are. If baseball doesn't fix that, nothing they do in this collective bargaining agreement in this next offseason will really matter. They've got to fix this pace of play and length of game problem they have. Let's finish with the cooler. Interesting uh, interesting item, and I think I'm going to write about in Wednesday's uh, Wednesday Online and Thursday's paper, uh, passed along to me by Kent Youngblood, our, our Gopher women's basketball writer. Gophers women's basketball team and Lindsey Whalen have the seventh best recruiting class incoming class of 2022. So not going to help them on the court this season. That, that start of the year is actually right around the corner, by the way, just another you know 10 days away. Um, I've ne- I can't remember a Minnesota team in a sport, you know, in basketball or football, uh, men's or women's basketball or football being ranked that highly in a recruiting class. And it comes from three players in the top 55, according to ESPN's rankings. Uh, Mara Braun, number 28 on that list. Um, Amaya Battle, number 38 and Mallory Hire, number 54. That's a, that's a pretty good haul for Lindsey Whalen's team. They should be in the, you know, should be in the mix to make the tournament this year. But watch out for next year when they could be really, really good and start to build the foundation of the program that she wants to build in this state. That'll do it for today. Thanks for joining me. Hope you enjoyed the show. Good stuff coming up Thursday as well. I'm sure we'll have plenty of Bucks Wolves talk. Big game there, and uh, you know whatever else comes our way. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Thursday.